Any analyst at any time can target anyone, uh, any selector anywhere. Where those uh, communications will be picked up depends on the range of the sensor networks and the authorities that that analyst is uh, empowered with. But I, sitting at my desk, uh, certainly had the authorities to, to wiretap anyone from you or your accountant to a federal judge to even the president if I had a personal email. Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is the FOMO Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a fortnightly podcast where we talk about the exciting ideas changing the world today and what might change the world tomorrow. You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for the FOMO Show on your platform of choice. If you like what you hear, leave a rating if your podcast app supports it. That will help more people find our show. Yeah, and all the links to what we're talking about are in the show notes, so check him out um, to keep up to date. So this episode, we're going to be talking about how we govern ourselves and make laws in the digital age. So we're going to get at our crystal ball a little bit, look at how we could better build relationships and build governance between people using technology in the future. Mm-hmm. And we're probably going to take a, an optimistic view and then maybe a bit more of a a dark view as well. Look at the, <laughs> the two different sides of technology and how they could work. So that should be really interesting. Uh, in our privacy and security section, we're covering Riot IM, which is sort of like a decentralized Slack alternative. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 the hope will be is that it will be kind of a one stop shop for voice communication, chat communication, wow. integration with a whole bunch of apps that is completely decentralized, can be end to end encrypted, private. Uh, and hosted on your own server if you want. So it's really interesting. We'll, we'll chat more about that then. And we're just going to go through the last fortnight's worth of news. So what have you been up to, mate? Mate, I've been uh, working hard. I finally got internet back. Um, so we had a little gaming session the other night um, when I got my internet back. So that was awesome. Um, and it was like you'd never left, you know? Like, the moment you got internet back, you were straight back into, straight those, back into it. those neural pathways. Oh, mate, it was great. And, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, now I've got to get all these YouTube episodes up for our dear listeners on YouTube. Um, yeah. The show is now up on Spotify, so That's you can awesome. find the podcast on Spotify now. If you're looking for an easy way to get your friends onto the podcast, just tell them to search for The FOMO Show mm-hmm. on Spotify and tell them it's not the one about pop culture, which seems to have popped up recently, but it's the one about tech. Yeah. So it's the one with the cooler logo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The dope one. Yeah. All others are fake. Simpler but cooler. Mm. Mm. Imitation is a sincerest form of flattery. Um, I've also just scheduled the first Blockchain for Business meetup for yeah. 2019. When's that happening? Uh, the 19th of March, I believe. Awesome. awesome. What are you talking about? <clears throat> uh, so, I'm talking about security tokens. Nice. So, ICOs have kind of died down the last year or so, I guess, mm-hmm. and people are starting to talk about security tokens, but there seems to be a lot of misunderstanding about what securities actually are, right. what makes sense to tokenize and what doesn't. Uh, and some of the trade-offs you have to make if you're mm. going to do a, fu- a company fundraise by issuing to a broader public market. So we're going to cover some of that stuff. We're going to bust a few myths, educate people on yeah what how companies are actually allowed to fundraise, mm. and then hopefully people will be able to walk away with a bit more of an idea of what STOs are and when they might be a good idea and when they mightn't be. 
Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I'm signed up. Really excited for it. And yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Cool. As an aside, uh, not as an aside, stepping back, what have I been up to? I also, I also went to the blockchain... No, I didn't go to that. I also went to Brisbane's VR meetup, um, yeah. which was really cool. You were tweeting out some cool uh, videos from it. Yeah, so essentially it was held down at this VR arcade, which is down in um, the Valley in Brisbane. Um, it's just a long building with uh, maybe like four, five, no, five different spaces for VR setups. Yep. Um, really cool. They were showcasing uh, a bunch of different projects that were being built from right here in Brisbane. Um, so that was really cool. There was a one of the spaces where the, for VR had a, a plank on it and people were sort of walking in virtual reality along a plank that was like 60 floors up. Cool. It was, a, it was called, was it Super Punchy Golf or Mega Punchy Golf? Yep. Someone made a sort of like a mini golf but for you punch the uh, the golf ball right and um, another one that's being built which is in progress at the moment from a guy that hopefully we're going to meet up with soon Chris um, he's building this uh, space shooter looks incredible um, and hopefully we'll be able to get him on the show at some point mate yeah no, it looked unreal I was hoping to get along didn't get along but it's no secret that we are very enthusiastic about VR um, so yeah I'll get along to the next one hopefully we, we might even Try and cover it a little bit more on yeah, socials yeah, yeah. And, and share a bit more about the projects and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, just awesome that there's so many interesting projects that are going on right here in Brisbane. A bit of disclosure, this podcast is not investment or any other type of advice. We're not saying you should buy anything at all. So, full disclosure, we're both personally invested in different shares, funds, cryptocurrencies, some of which we talk about on this show. But if we talk about an investment product, it doesn't mean you should buy it. So do your research, uh, never invest more than you can afford to lose, and most of all, avoid the fear of missing out. If you're new around here and new to blockchain and cryptocurrency, you can check out our Blockchain Basics series. It starts from episode two and continues until episode eight. It'll give you some grounding in the fundamentals and help you understand what on earth we're talking about. All right, let's move on to the news. So, first bit of news, global cryptocurrency trading volumes have jumped to 300-day highs. Yeah, so this was on the 19th of February, so probably a couple of weeks ago now. But um, yeah, the total volume of all crypto trading, um, as tracked by CoinMarketCap, um, hit a 300-day high um, of $33.5 billion, uh, the most in 10 months. You saw like a lot more activity in chat channels, and yeah. subreddits, and everyone's like, uh, the uh, the the bear market's over. Yeah. What do you reckon? Yeah. Uh, look, it's it's hard to know, isn't it? Because you, you again, you see conflicting reports every day. It may just be that more people are selling. <laughs> yeah. Maybe more people are getting out because the trend has been downwards and it hasn't really stopped being downwards. So, yeah, I don't know. But look, at, at least more people are participating, which is good. Next piece of news coming out of uh, the IEEE Spectrum. Um, Services available through Google's uh, BigQuery platform uh, make it easy to find out what's in a blockchain. Um, so you can search and analyze blockchain transactions. Um, and yeah, they've got full data sets from the eight most active blockchain networks. Um, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, Ethereum Classic, Zcash, Dash, Litecoin and Dogecoin. Um, not as active as EOS. No, so they, yeah. It's a lie, but I mean, they're pretty close. Yeah. So, yeah, it just means data scientists and uh, other such people who are interested can track the blockchain. 
Yeah, and Google has some pretty cool tools around BigQuery. Um, they can represent things in a number of different ways. So, if wow. you are that way inclined, um, you can yeah definitely go and have a look at it. You can also query it with SQL stuff. So, um, yeah, there's just some cool tools in there if, if that's what you want to look at. But I guess it's just another way that we can look at these ledgers and make sense out of these ledgers, which is always a good thing. Mm. Cool. So, next bit. Jeremy Epstein, who's the CEO of a blockchain marketing company called Never Stop Marketing, has been monitoring a number of ways that people are able to put blockchain nodes in their homes. So, yeah, one of the trends he's watching is called crypto in a box. Um, so, low-cost, pre-packaged, plug-and-play blockchain node devices um, that you, know, you can just buy and use at home without having to be some form of you know nuclear scientist to use it. Yeah, and, and just for those that aren't aware, a blockchain node is essentially just a computer that hosts an entire ledger of a blockchain. So, for example, if you were going to start a Bitcoin node, that node would, that little computer that you hosted on would host the entire ledger. So, everyone's trans- transactions from 2009 to now 2019 and it would be able to have more transactions sent to it to validate them and to also have a very small chance at getting a mining reward as well. So, it's essentially a way that you can uh, host the entire ledger yourself. That's what a node is and they help secure the network. Cool. So, yeah, the three different uh, three devices, um, crypto in a box is the first one uh, for, for passionate believers. Um, so, this is uh, an example of this is the Casa node, relatively cheap, about $300. And with a bit of effort, he says, you can support the growth of the Lightning Network and the future of Bitcoin, as in BTC Bitcoin. Bitcoin is Bitcoin. Yeah, and I've got a friend who actually bought a Casa node just recently yeah. and uh, set it up a couple of weekends ago and said it was it was quite easy to set up. Uh, the documentation is getting better and better for it. And yeah, it didn't cost him that much. He ordered it. It came and it was relatively painless. So, a lot of the pre-configuration was already done and it was more just about then connecting it up to the network and syncing everything and making sure everything worked. But um, yeah, the only reason you would get one of those is just so you can have it and potentially set up a small little network of you know channels and um, validators right. and that kind of stuff, but you're not going to be getting mining rewards or anything like that from a CASA node. Right. Um, the second type is just for faster developer on-ramping. So, um, yeah, he's given an example of that, but basically just to get developers who are intrigued by a project but don't want to spend hours configuring their own before they start building and testing apps. Mm. So, the third one is for home consumers, and that's to get a little bit more return on investment on what they're putting in. And an early example he gave of that is something called CoinMine. Now, CoinMine is a device that's essentially plug-and-play and allows you to mine on networks like Ethereum, Monero, and Zcash. You pick the one you want to mine and you can move between them with an app on your phone. Um, so, it's meant to take a lot of the pain out of setting up these mining operations and give you something that is, just really works out of the box. Mm. So, it's an interesting sign of what's to come. Next bit of news, a major US retailer has ditched Visa and is now considering Bitcoin's Lightning Network as an alternative. So, yeah, US retail giant Kroger is no longer accepting Visa credit cards as it at its chain of Smith's Food and Drug Stores. Um, so, yeah, Anthony Pompliano um, tweeted an offer to hook him up with Bitcoin's Lightning Network. So, it all started on Friday when Kroger announced the move to no longer accept Visa credit cards, citing excessive fees. And we covered this a couple of weeks ago that Visa are 
Musk had both been raising their fees by quite a lot mm-hmm. in the last couple of years. Um, the Smith's chain comprises of 134 food and drug stores in the, in the United States, across seven states, and employs approximately 20,000 staff. So it's not, not a small operation. Yeah, their CFO actually said that Visa has been misusing its position and charging retailers excessive fees. And not only that, obviously, yeah, they're putting their fees up as well just to process payments. Yeah, so they've said that they're going to look for an alternative. And um, the, this Pompliano guy tweeted out that he would fly to meet them and get them hooked up with the Lightning Network nationwide. And Kroger Digital tweeted a response and has set up a conversation. So we'll see what happens with that. Yeah. Next bit. There have been six crazy details released from Alphabet's leaked plans for its first smart city. So, so Alphabet, the parent company of Google, have a subsidiary called Sidewalk Labs. Now, they're looking at developing smart city technology and some of the ideas of the future. So I think we discussed this in our Smart Cities episode, which mm. was a long time ago now. But yeah, they've there have now been some leaks. Um, they've been um, you know, building some stuff in Toronto uh, in a certain section of the city there. Um, and yeah, there are some really interesting things that have come out of that. First one being, it's made of timber. They're planning on building a dozen towers in the quayside, some up to 30 stories tall, um, 3,000 units of housing, la, 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 loads of jobs, but notably they're built from timber. Wow, okay. Uh, as opposed to concrete and steel, which a lot of things are built from these days. Uh, second thing is it's modular. So they're suggesting that architecturally all of these buildings will be modular. So essentially like the biggest Lego kit you've ever seen. Um, and that includes the prefab timber f- beams in their buildings and hexagonal pavement that can be swapped in and out easily when necessarily so no need to just bring someone in and do a patch job on repairing you just lift it out lift another one in which makes a lot of sense Mm. um next bit it's high tech and it's green solar power geothermal heat fiber optic plugs wireless 5g internet for everyone smart curbs that sense the presence of vehicles and promise to ease traffic as a result composting and recycling is enabled through a smart waste user interface to divert 80 percent of total waste from the landfill yeah, so according to the company, all data generated by all that infrastructure will then be scrubbed of identifying information and made publicly accessible. Hmm. As opposed to now. <laughs> well, I mean, this is coming from Google. That's, uh, I wonder if it will be scrubbed before they look at all the, the data. Anyway, <clears throat> moving on. Um, it's going to have a subterranean level run by robots. So rather than fill the streets with garbage trucks and delivery drivers, Sidewalk Labs proposes that a network of underground tunnels handle the transport of all the last mile services. That includes creating robots that will collect and manage waste and freight deliveries. From what that these people can tell, the tunnels may also be used for pizza delivery in the future too. And um, that isn't actually that crazy. There are several theme parks now around the world that mm. do this. Uh, they have a whole bunch of underground tunnels that all all the staff use to get around and deliver supplies to different wow. uh, kiosks because, I mean, if you're in a theme park, being in a theme park for a lot of the time is all about immersion. Yeah. So, you, just, you don't really want to be seeing people taking deliveries all around the place. Yeah. And so, yeah, some of the newer ones actually have these subterranean levels that wow. uh, all their staff move through. Huh. So, it's not, it's not a new concept, but... Um, to so see new, it done on a new city cities level. that are being built in the future, I guess, are going to be really making use of those sorts of ideas. Yeah, well, it, it kind of goes to what uh, Elon Musk says as well about the fact that there's not a lot of room above the ground, but there's a lot of room underneath the ground. Mm. And, you know, you think about it, 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 it makes a lot of sense for a lot of these utility 
um, and delivery kinds of things, doing it underground and maybe just having a little area in your house where people can can either pass stuff up or like shoot stuff up or, you know, shoots for your garbage, et cetera, et cetera, like they have with hotels. Mm. Um, that makes a lot more sense from a city management perspective mm. to push all that stuff underground if you can build the infrastructure there at the start. Yeah. Um, so, huh. yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Second last bit, they're also pushing you outside even in the cold. So um, they are looking at heated bike lanes such as those in the Netherlands, um, which melt ice so that you can cycle around even in winter. Additionally, they're also hoping these towers will feature bubbly building raincoats that create clear tarp tents over public areas. So that um, it's being tested apparently, so it could feasibly open outdoor coffee shops and farmers markets year-round. Interesting, yeah, That because if, if you ever walk through the city... When it's raining, um, the gutters quickly fill up and you, you get your shoes wet and then your socks mm. get wet and everything gets wet, if you, especially if you forget your umbrella. Mm. So, it would be nice. The tarps have to be really durable though. The last one, um, Sidewalk Labs will pay for some of the projects with a loan. So, uh, much of the concept is dependent on all sorts of other infrastructural upgrades to areas like sewerage, which could be up around $6 billion on its own. So, Sidewalk Labs is offering to foot the cost as a loan, but the city would have to pay the company back. Um, But they argue that the increased property taxes generated by the new development would be new money for Toronto and could be used to pay back the loan over a number of years without any real tax burden on the city. Heartwarming tale. Oh, it all sounds really great. (laughs) Speaking of great, China have banned millions from flights and trains in a social credit crackdown. Wow, yeah, so we covered social credit a couple of times on the show, I think. Yeah. Uh, That's a system that China's introduced, which essentially means that every single person has like a star rating. And the the good things they do in the eyes of the Chinese government brings their rating up a little bit. Mm -hmm. The bad things they do in the eyes of the Chinese government bring their rating a little bit further down. Mm. Uh, But the problem is the further down you go, the harder it is to get your rating back up. Mm. Little hack for getting a little up the ratings. Um, Just subscribe to the Thoma Show. That's right. Um, But yeah, banned from things such as air and train travel, blacklisted individuals are being punished in a broad effort. So, yeah, essentially around uh, 17.46 million people who are discredited have been prevented from buying plane tickets, 17.46 million people, um, while 5.47 million people were disallowed from purchasing tickets to their high-speed train system. Now, these seem like massive numbers, and I'm not defending China for a second, but that is a very, very small percentage of their population. Mm. Mm. But it's still pretty significant, and it's it's it's, it's crazy that you know you, you're completely locked out from using this stuff. They're, they're they're saying no, you can't buy a plane ticket because your rating is too low. Mm. No, you can't go on a train because your rating's too low. And if systems here are anything to go by, um, you very often as a customer, you as a listener here, you've probably found you've called up a company to, about something, and your name is John Smith, somebody else's name is John Smith, and you've both got crossed wires somewhere. Yeah, you're receiving the wrong post or this or that, and it. Yeah. Imagine if this system was hacked too. Imagine the kind of havoc that could be roared if someone hacked the system and changed a whole bunch of ratings. Well, it's uh, funny that you're saying it's been hacked. Now, it hasn't been hacked that we know, but according to the Electronic Frontier Foundation, a massive database leak has actually given a window into the digital surveillance state. So, um, 
Yeah, early this month, a security researcher found and disclosed an exposed database live tracking the locations of about 2.6 million residents in Xinjiang, uh, China, which was, um, yeah, offered a window into what that digital surveillance looked like. Um, so yeah, Xinjiang, I don't know how to pronounce it, uh, China's largest province um, and home to the Uyghurs. Uyghurs? How do you pronounce that? Oh, I'm not sure. The which Uyghurs, is the, yeah. the, the, the Turkic minority that's been persecuted for quite a while there yeah. now. So it's, essentially they've implemented a testbed police state where a lot of the people from these minority groups are either surveilled or even arbitrarily detained in a lot of cases. And although a lot of news doesn't really get out of of this province, um, they're actually been tra- tracking facial recognition, uh, tracking alert systems, and requiring that people give over their biometric data, so like their DNA samples, voice samples, fingerprints, all to the government for the purposes of this system. Mm. And there's been a yeah a bit of evidence in the news in the last few months over mass detention centres, um, and yeah these new surveillance systems that they've been pouring billions into, mm. um, but. This security leak is actually quite interesting. So this security research discovered um, an insecure MongoDB database filled with records. Yeah, so that was tracking location and personal information of all these people, 2.6 million of them. Uh, These records included national ID numbers, ethnicity, nationality, phone number, date of birth, home address, employer and photos. Uh, And over a period of 24 hours, 6.7 million individual GPS coordinates were streamed to and collected by the database, which linked individuals to various public camera streams and identification checkpoints um, associated with location tags such as hotel, mosque and police station um, and they were all located within this province which is in Jiang. Now the database is owned by a company called SenseNets which is a private AI company which advertises facial recognition and crowd analysis technologies. So they've obviously been contracted by the government to do this work. But yeah, a couple of days earlier there was actually another report of a second open database which tracked the movement of millions of cars and pedestrians. And it actually was tracking and kind of analyzing violations like jaywalking, speeding, going through red light. That would generally trigger the taking of a photo and ping an IPI and essentially try and tie it directly to an identity. So a fine could be issued. So, yeah, um, well, the EFF article says that, yeah, while China may have a, have a working surveillance program, um, it's a shockingly insecure security state. Anyone with an internet connection has access to this honeypot of information. Um, they've also found evidence that these servers were previously accessed by other known global entities, such as a Bitcoin ransomware actor who'd left behind entries in the database. And to top it off, it was the server was actually vulnerable to several known exploits. According to a Chinese cybersecurity firm, at least 468 MongoDB servers have been exposed to the public internet after this security researcher started reporting them. So, yeah. Wow. Nuclear power group, GPS coordinates of bike rentals. Very interesting. And we'll probably talk about this a bit further when we go to discuss governance and law of the future. But there is some suspicion that China's big push into blockchain technology is kind of an extension of this effort to track, trace, record all sorts of different information about their citizens and make it as permanent as they possibly can. Mm, The blockchain never forgets. That's exactly right. So next bit of news, autonomous trains could talk to each other soon for cooperative cruise control. So it's a new cruise control algorithm that could help trains use the track more efficiently without crashing. So in Japan, the world's fastest train can reach nail-biting speeds of up to 602 k's an hour, covering an entire kilometre in six seconds. So yeah, while it's a pretty cool means of travel, two cranes crashing at these speeds would be 
pretty bad. Mm. So engineers are hoping to further increase efficiency while maintaining safety by allowing trains to sense one another and work under a cooperative cruise control framework, similar to adaptive cruise control um, approaches which are being explored for like fleets of vehicles, mm. like big trucks. So yeah, um, traditionally trains run on a fixed block system. So railway lines divided into segments um, called blocks. No two trains are allowed in a single block and any two trains are separated by at least one empty block. While this approach limits the chances of a collision, it also means huge sections of railway are going unused. Yes, I've said the control approach we propose works much like formation flight of a large flock of birds where each bird most likely communicates only with the neighbouring birds within its sensing, sense, sensing range. And simula- simulations have suggested that their approach can increase the amount of rail track that's used among multiple trains and avoid overcompression or extension of couplers with a single train. So down the road, your commute may not only involve autonomous vehicles, but also high-speed trains that have a mind of their own. Seen a good few movies about that. So. <laughs> But it's such an amazing extension of what we're using for cars, isn't it? Like car, we talk about autonomous cars, and they they'll have sensors, but their sensors are only like I don't know twenty five meters or fifty mm. meters or something. Mm. But the fact that these trains are covering a kilometer in six seconds means that they'll have to be so much smarter. And I assume a lot of this will be to do with the sensors on the rails themselves. Mm. But mm. yeah, that's a that's a massive speed that you're putting your trust in. This automation, so you want to be pretty sure it works. Japan is so far ahead on all that stuff, though. I yeah. Mean, it's just having fast trains, for one. Oh, I know. Well, that's, I mean, planes are generally, what, like 900, 1,000 kilometres an hour? That's generally what they travel at, isn't it? So, uh, that means they're travelling at two-thirds the speed of a plane. But that means you could live so much further away from work. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, their high-speed rail system is amazing. So, next bit of news. This is news from the Mobile World Conference, which was in Barcelona in 2019. And it appears that 5G is going to put robots' heads in the cloud. Yeah, so low-latency 5G networks could actually solve a massive problem for smart robots. So, right now, you need a lot of technology in the ro- within the robot so that it can respond quickly. Traditionally, mm. they've found... If you actually streamed over 4G or your Wi-Fi to try and get some sort of um, answer from your robot, it could take quite a lot of time. Mm. What they're saying is basically 5G is the solution by just reducing the latency massively. Mm. Um, And that's got quite a few implications. So there was a coffee company um, was demonstrating a coffee-serving robot. So after placing an order via a smartphone... A robotic arm came behind a glass panel and it juggled cups, operated coffee makers and gently placed drinks on trays so they could be collected by waiting humans. So the precise movement was only possible thanks to a 5G network. It supported a pair of cameras on the ceiling within the robot's enclosure. So yeah, one looks outward, uh, keeping an eye on the customers, and the other looks inward, looking at the robot environment. And from that second camera, the robot has a th- real-time 3D picture of its own surroundings without which it couldn't manipulate cups and juggle orders as precisely as it did. So plenty of this is demonstrations showed how 5G, which is the next generation of wireless, uh, could allow robots to do more tasks and do tasks more intelligently. In many cases, including for this one, uh, the data rates which 5G offers, which can feasibly go up to 10 uh, gigabits per second, which is about, I think, what's that, like about 1.2, 1.3 gigabytes per second? Um It'll allow robots to transfer wirelessly a huge amount of data, which is involved in having video surveil things and 
have machines learn different processes. So essentially, it becomes almost like a remote processing center that doesn't need to be in the robot. Now, that's because the latency of 5G is expected to be about 10 milliseconds uh, as opposed to about roughly 60 milliseconds on 4G. So the, the latency is, what what's that about? 600% lower on 5G as opposed to 4G, which wow. means those that, that, that problem at the moment with needing locality to process things really quickly and make very minute actions can be outsourced, essentially pushed to a server somewhere and it doesn't have to be hosted on the robot itself. Mm. See, there was another company that was there called Cloud Minds. Um, they design and build robots with AI brains in the cloud. We were chatting yesterday about this, actually, um, and 5G actually has the potential to bring back services like OnLive mm. for gaming, which had this massive problem as the processing was all done in server farm somewhere else and streamed to your computer but there was just way too much latency back in the day. Yeah, and OnLive was about, what, 10 years ago or something? They tried to do this thing where essentially it was like, all you need is something that's a computer that can connect to the web. Mm. We will do all the video processing for you. We'll do all the CPU work for you. You just need an internet that's good enough to bring in the stream of what's happening. There were two problems with that. First of all, your internet had to be good enough to bring in the stream of what was happening, which 10 years ago uh, was even less likely than it is today, although it's still not incredibly likely for a lot of people. Uh, but you also had to have latency uh, that was good enough to not notice when, you know, so let's say you're in a first-person shooter and you push the forward button and move your mouse, it would have to be quick enough that when you push that forward button and move the mouse, that happens pretty much instantly at the server level and beams it back to you pretty much instantly. Mm. And that wasn't there um, 10 years ago, it's not really there now. And they're saying that 5G may, may solve this problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, a, that was a big issue for OnLive. They, just, they were essentially visionaries that were probably 10 years too early. Mm. And Google are looking at this now. So Google have got a game streaming service, I believe that's in alpha. Yeah, um, that's on got, Chrome, through Chrome, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and they've got they've got like a number of alpha testers, and from the sounds of it, it sounds like it's going well. It's all running on Linux too, wow. which is uh, which is another interesting thing. Shameless plug. Um, but uh, yeah, it could mean that you know, in five years, ten years' time, you may not need a video card, a CPU, RAM. You might just need you know a, a pretty middle of the range computer that has a good internet connection. And all the game processing could be done somewhere else. Cool. Mm. It's awesome. 5G. 5G. Cool tool. Very quick one. Coin360. Um, it shows the top cryptocurrencies by market capitalization organized by a consensus algorithm. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty cool. It just takes up the available space and shows in sort of like a tree diagram. So, you can see, you get a visualization of the entire market cap and then you can mouse over things and you can see the graphs and all the different stats, the trading volume, the platform that it runs on. So like that consensus algorithm that it runs. That's pretty cool. Cool. Yeah, Coin360, check it out. We'll put the link in the show notes. Wherever you're joining us from, it's a pleasure having you here. Why not drop into our Telegram channel and say hello? You can find that at fomo.show slash telegram. In this week's privacy and security section, we're talking about Riot IM. Now, you sent me some excited messages about this last week. 
tell us a bit about what it is. Yeah, so Right I Am is uh, it, it, look. The first thing to say is it's a front end for what's called the Matrix Protocol, and it's probably worth talking a little bit about the Matrix Protocol before we talk about Right. So the Matrix Protocol is an open source pl- collaboration protocol. It's been developed by a number of different devs, and wow. Right essentially just dresses it up really fancy and makes it look nice. So if you ever used Slack before, and we initially had our FOMO show communications on Slack before we moved over to Telegram. Mm -hmm. Slack is like a collaboration tool for businesses and projects and a number of other things. And I've seen some open source projects announcing that they're moving over from Slack or Telegram to Riot. And I didn't think much of it, but then KDE, which is a big desktop environment in the Linux world, Mm -hmm. announced that they were moving everything that they do over to Riot. And um, the, the, the cool thing about that is that they said... While we're moving over to this, you can still continue to use Slack, uh, which is what they were using beforehand, or with some other project projects they've said you can still continue to use Telegram or IRC, mm. but it will all integrate and pull into this matrix protocol. Wow. And that's kind of what they're developing it for. They're developing it to be like a, a centralized program or repository for all your different chat applications. So... Uh, and they achieve this through bridges. So mm-hmm. you can have like a Slack bridge and the channel you bridge it with, you'll be able to still see all the communication going on in there mm-hmm. and anything posted in your Riot chat will go back to that Slack right. as well. Um, but the benefit of having it on the Riot channel or the Matrix channel is that you can host it yourself. You can run everything. Even if you're not hosting the actual server yourself, you can set up instances on someone else's server and it can be all end-to-end encrypted. It can be completely private, shut off from the world and, and only you can hold the keys. And you essentially just have complete control over it and you can you can integrate a bunch of stuff. That sounds really cool. Yeah, so a few features of, um, of Riot, um, we'll run through the list. So the first one is you can make as many rooms or channels as you want. Uh, like we said, you've got the ability to make bridges to many plat- platforms. And uh, you can also have really good um, backup logging and persistence as well because data is really cheap and you can host this yourself. So you can share, upload and download files with friends, colleagues and forget about them as files, conversations are timestamped, decentralized. There is the remotest possibility of the channels and rooms you're going in ever going down. Yeah, and if it ever does go down, you can always have a home server as like an additional backup, essentially, which will it'll default back to if the thing goes wrong. Um, and uh, it's it's really quite modular too. The beauty about Matrix is that there's all these new bridges that are coming out. People are making them, and you can even make them yourself. So you can backport these things quite easily. Um, the protocol itself too is being done in a number of languages. So. Uh, there's generally support for a lot of the different proprietary apps that companies are using. So you can start to integrate with them. Um, End-to-end encryption as well. It's been audited by a a very big security company and uh, each user and their device actually has a separate hash key. uh, So tampering and identity theft is a lot harder and you can kind of verify maybe a device that has been compromised and you can shut it down. And the big thing too is that voice and video calling is actually integrated into the client itself already. So I've seen people using this like a Discord. So if you ever use Discord, um, you will feel quite at home using Riot because it feels a lot like Discord. And the great thing about the voice and video calling is that it's all peer-to-peer. So it's not you're not porting it through someone's proprietary servers. You may 
um, connect through that server and there may be some data that goes there, but that, that data will be encrypted and uh, you don't have to worry about, like with Discord, someone being able to see everything and hear everything and view everything. So uh, really, really powerful protocol. Riot is um, is just a really beautiful way of, um, of representing it all. I've, I've played around with it myself. Um, currently trying to set up a FOMO show version on, on uh, Riot, like a little FOMO show community on it. Yeah, so you managed to set up a few channels for different things. Um, I see you've pulled the podcast feed in there. Mm. So there's all sorts of widgets you can pull into different chat channels and we've got the podcast feed and a little RSS bot as well that'll report um, when we, whenever we put a new episode up. So, yeah, look, if you're into privacy and security, I, I heard someone say that if they had have had this back when, who was the reporter that Edward Snowden was corresponding with? Oh, Glenn Greenwald? Or? Yeah, Glenn Greenwald. If Glenn Greenwald and Edward Snowden hadn't have had this back then, yeah. they could have set up a network for the different news people, set them wow. all up with their own IDs, and it would have all been end-to-end encrypted. It would have been quite robust. They could have had voice comms, video comms, without any risk of anyone eavesdropping on this stuff. So, wow. Um, and that was, from what the Matrix guys have said, that was kind of their inspiration for beginning in the first place. They wanted it to be as private and secure as possible. So yeah, check out the uh, check out Riot, check out Matrix. So you can install Riot on nearly everything. It's got a web version as well. We might um, chuck up the link to the little FOMO show community in the show notes as well. Cool. So in this week's feature, we're covering the future of government and law. Now, this was actually triggered by an article that TM uh, shared in our chat. Thanks for sharing it, TM. Um, so the South Australian government are actually conducting uh, an election uh, using um, blockchain technology from Horizon State. Now, this is for the state's Recreational Fishing Advisory Council, where the state government is using this blockchain technology from Horizon State to elect five people. Now, it's quite a complex vote, um, being, you know, you've got preference preferential votes with reserved seats and a large cohorts of candidates to choose from. Yeah, so 45 candidates have been nominated for the election and they are opening the they were open, opening the blockchain voting only a couple of days ago. South Australia's Premier, Stephen Marshall, says he wants South Australia to be the blockchain capital of the country. Um, so, yeah, they, they've... Uh, Horizon State, I believe, is based in uh, South Australia, isn't it? Mm, or Perth, one uh, of the two. Yeah, it might be South Australia. Oh, yeah, because Perth Western Australia, isn't it? Yeah. Why would you be in South... What is in South Australia? Um, is that Adelaide? Yeah, Adelaide. Right. Yeah, so there's a big river. Cool. A um, lot of... Yeah, it's pretty dry down worth, there. Worth going to? Yeah, apparently Adelaide's amazing. I've wow. never been there, but... Oh, yeah, yeah. They love their sport down there, too. Right. So there's, like, some big sporting events. You I found to. that they like their sport in quite a few places around this country. Yeah, actually, look, saying they like their sport's not really helping because, yeah, they also places like, their, like their sport. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. Sport and beer. Well, yeah. Um, well, yeah, so um, in October last year, Mickey, uh, the news site, revealed that South Australia had received received federal government support for the development of a blockchain hive um, within a massive innovation hub. So that's being built at the site of an old hospital in their state's capital. Yeah, and look, it's not the first thing that Horizon State have done. They've made inroads in India mm. as well. Um, the Democratic Party of India announced that we use Horizon State's blockchain technology to consult Indian citizens before determining its policy positions. 
And in New Zealand, the Opportunity Party used Horizon State's blockchain voting system to conduct a leadership election in December. So yeah, um, we, we reached out to see if we could see what it looked like to end users. And we've um, we've got a link to an unlisted video on YouTube. Don't know if we can share this with you, so we're going to share it with you anyway. Um, and it's what the uh, voting system looks like to end users. Um, so for voting for things, things like that. Now, this wasn't for this specific um, phishing vote, but um shows you how their their system is built. Now, there are a lot of small things that you've got to get right with it, whether it's, you know, a, a vote on a scale of one to 10 or if it's a, a multitude of different things. So, you know, who's your number one candidate? And then if not, who's your number two and number three candidates? And then things like that. You can cast your votes and add comments and things like that, which looks, looks quite interesting. Now, we'd be really interested to see what the Horizon State Block Explorer is, because mm. um, um, Matt was saying, you know, where where can we explore the blocks? Where can we see the data for the votes? Because that would be really interesting to a number of researchers and onlookers. Yeah, because at the moment, this video anyway, and I, I, we haven't really been able to find anything else that tells us either. We can only see people casting their votes. We can't see what the system looks like on the back end. We can't see a live update of the different votes that are going on and how that's tied to blocks, and so. While this video is cool, to to because it 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 just looks like a web app and it's kind of hard to see where it's doing anything different than say change.org or uh, Google Forms or whatever where you mm. you run surveys. So um, yeah, if we could see the back end on this stuff, that'd be really good uh, because we could kind of then see yes, it's being hashed to this block and mm. um, that's now permanently there and oh, if someone wants to change it, then it corresponds to this smart contract, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But I, I, get, I guess I can see sort of what um, how they're looking to go with this, uh, web interfaces for voting. Yep. Um, now, yeah, assuming there's going to be some sort of block explorer on the back end with this, but getting it so that you know parties can actually set up their own questions and star ratings and scales or things like that mm. um, and being able to set that up themselves because I'm mm. guessing right now um, Horizon State will have to set it up but um, hopefully they're I'm guessing they're working on self-service stuff I haven't really explored their roadmap too far but yeah, um, yeah it's a really cool project of where things might be going yeah and so that got us thinking this is just voting and voting's quite a little microcosm but we started wondering well how will we actually govern ourselves in the future because a lot of the hype around this blockchain stuff back a couple of years ago was that we'll be able to decentralize money and then when smart contracts kind of rose above what they were capable in bitcoin we started saying well now we're going to be able to decentralize other things and use money as the conduit to do that and we thought it might be worth, uh, since we've also highlighted Riot IM, which is like communications, which is another thing that has typically been a bit more centralized with postal services and now mobile phones and all that kind of stuff. We thought it might be good to look at, yeah, how will we govern ourselves in the future? Will how we interact with each other change with te as technology changes? Will there be new ways for us to do business and build relationships with each other? And what might that look like? And what might some of the consequences be? So we're going to try for the optimistic approach here first, and then we'll cover some of the more black mirror stuff. So if payment is going digital and borderless, um, it sort of makes sense that people will start making agreements that can be enforced in new ways. Now, the biggest example, you've used this before plenty of times, is smart contracts. So yeah, when people are comfortable using a blockchain, if that's Bitcoin or something else to do business, you can start to make a lot of the terms self-enforcing. You still have some that 
won't be self-enforcing though and that's when you need a jurisdiction. So at the moment, we use a jurisdiction for to enforce nearly everything. Uh, mm-hmm. Contracts are not mm-hmm. self-enforcing at all. They're just written on a piece of paper. Um, but even if we can make some terms self-enforcing through code, so mm-hmm. programmable code that deals with money, um, that's generally going to only be for the more simple things, at least to begin with, and we'll mm-hmm. still need some somewhere to go. But what if you're in different countries? or What if you're in a team that's spread out all around the world? Yeah, and, and, and even more so, what if you're like a decentralized autonomous organization or something and you, you, you're not based in any one jurisdiction at all? So, I mean, yeah, choosing a jurisdiction is going to be pretty hard. I mean, you see in terms and conditions at the moment, the company has written the T's and C's are saying, look, this contract is, you know, you by agreeing to the Facebook terms and conditions say that if you want to sue us, you have to sue us in a court of law in California, mm. uh, which means I have to go and find some bloke with a law degree in and who's passed the bar in California and get him to do some kind of suance, suance, seance, suance for me. <laughs> suance. <laughs> The art of going in front of the court and paying court fees to do nonsense. So choosing a jurisdiction is going to be hard because at the moment, companies kind of choose those jurisdictions for us, but that's because they have to. And it's because we still live in this world where we're connected internationally, but we govern ourselves based on land formations Mm. and what people, certain people say about those land formations. And we all agree that those land formations give a central authority in that land formation, authority over everything. Mm. Uh, But as money kind of detaches from that and we Mm. have money that isn't attached to any one land formation, it makes sense that we will also start detaching some other things that go with that money, especially if it's smart contracts with that money. So I think much like the way in that companies take on certain responsibilities now. Like, you, for example, you look at private security forces where people don't want to deal with the police. Like in Mexico, for example, a lot of rich wow, people yeah. essentially hire their own police, mm. but they say, you work for us. Mm. Or the company says, we work for you, and this is the way we work, and this is why we're better than the police, and mm. people are prepared to pay for that instead of police. Uh, we could start to see other organizations or platforms take on some more of these responsibilities, whether that be mediation, managing debts, enforcing terms of agreements. It could be that as Bitcoin scales or as other networks like EOS or Cardano scale, companies start to stand up and say, hey, we will take care of dispute resolution if you both want us to. Wow. So what you'd sort of, you could, for example, get two people are in an argument and then they say, right, let's settle this with mediation. Yep. And then you sort of... Mediate digitally or you you will say we'll go into a virtual court or something? Well, it would be one step further because at the moment in a contract, you say we'll have mediators who will mediate our contract. And that's Mm. quite common in most contracts now. I mean, myself, I I always put a mediation clause in a contract because it's a lot cheaper for people to go off to mediation first Mm. when there's a disagreement. Um, than have to go straight to court. So it kind of, and mediators are generally a bit more informal. They'll get people talking, and a lot of the time they have really good outcomes. But <clears throat> this will go one step further. What you would probably do is, let's say it's a smart contract, mm-hmm. which governs the agreement. You would program in maybe their their account as having the power to deal with certain parts of the contract, and that could be conditional, maybe upon having to go to mediation. But right. what that would mean is that. You could say, we want to have a binding mediation. So, we'll go to this mediator, we'll present our case, yeah. but 
they will have the authority under the smart contract because they hold they're the account holder yeah. to deal with these funds or these contract terms in a certain way. So you'd actually add extra control. I wonder how that would work. Now mm. I don't know if I'm just asking like how how would that work? So as in let's say you and I have an argument about yeah. how we split the FOMO show revenue. Yeah. I want 51% and you want 51% and yeah. we're at loggerheads. Yeah. So we go to, you can have 51%. I mean, okay. Well, I mean, uh, but the difference of 1% is millions and millions of dollars. Oh, you know, that's with, true. With the amount of revenue that and we get Zimbabwe from the coin show. we've got coming in off the... That's right. <laughs> so, so we've got an argument here yeah. and neither of us want to change on it, but we have a, let's say we have a smart contract that has yep. a mediation contract. So how would that, you know, in, a, in, in an imagined future, it doesn't have yep. to be perfect. How are you seeing that playing out? So you, what you would probably have is you, you would probably have a conditional clause. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this would have to be an editable smart contract, which some networks mm-hmm. can do now. You would have a conditional clause saying that if both of us agree to enact the dispute resolution procedures, yeah. we will give this account admin privileges at the conclusion of the mediation. So that would mean that the that account would essentially become like the like the contract creator right. at the conclusion of that mediation, and they would be empowered to go into the code and say edit the smart contract, which splits the money up, hmm. and give Joe fifty one percent and Matt forty nine percent. Right. If they if they decide, so it means that we both so we both sign on for an unknown set of result. Yep, but. So it's always so Which is what you do with a court mm. now anyway. So it's like a multi sig sort of Yeah. There and yeah. then that moves on to the, an arbiter. So Yeah. Wow. You'd still have to trust the mediators are gonna do the right yeah. thing, of course. And that that's where I'd see uh, there will probably be yeah, companies that you know, there's probably star ratings and all sorts of things on these mediators. And wow. companies will probably build up their trust as trusted mediators for this stuff. See, this is the question, though, is how do you get a trusted mediator? Because if I get 49% and you get 51%, mm. you're going to give them a good rating and I'm not. Mm. Yeah, very true. So I, I guess it's all problems that need to be solved. Yeah. But it's it's so fascinating to see where that could go. Mm. Wow, mm. that's awesome. Yeah. Well, let's move on to like self-governance. Yeah. So, yeah, one of the most interesting ways in which new tech can change the way we interact is self-governance. So, yeah, crypto gives us the ability to have a really basic building block of society. So it's money not controlled by any centralized government and not gated behind a bank. And it's also programmable and we can build on top of that. Yeah, so a, a, a layer... A system which has programmable money, which is open source and not controlled by anyone, is really the perfect foundation for a system of governance. And that's because money really is the the grease or the, the oils or the oil that greases the cogs of our entire society. Mm. If you boil it all down, the most basic, essential, fundamental thing to any working society or any working modern society is a unit of exchange. Mm. You've got to have some way to exchange, like what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, your crystallized life force, mm-hmm. your crystallized effort, your money, um, to someone else in exchange for something. And once you've got that, <clears throat> then you can, can begin to build things on top of it. Um, now, at, 
until now, most of that money has been controlled by central governments. They control the issuance. They give money to whoever they want to first before inflation hits. And it's really been gated in the, in the hands of a few. Mm-hmm. But if you can open that up and have a unit of exchange that's not controlled by anyone and it's in the hands of the many, and then that's also digital and you can program on top of it, mm-hmm. that means that you can essentially build all sorts of systems that interact with money at the coalface, mm. which is the perfect foundation for a system of governance. Yeah. yeah, I see what you mean. So, so what does that mean? So, it means that you could, you know, feasibly, and let's just talk hypotheticals here, you could have, a, as for example, a village of people or an online collection of users, you know, like a gaming clan or something, and they can all agree that they will govern something that they're doing through a framework built with crypto underpinning it. Um, so we could, you know, we could build a FOMO show organization mm-hmm. and we could say that we are going to fundraise for upgrades to certain bits of equipment for the FOMO show. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are going to let users decide what bits of equipment get up get updated mm-hmm. and then those bits of equipment are going to be paid with by crypto. That would be us coming together, agreeing that we're going to govern our little community by those rules and those rules will be used to decide which bits of equipment we we use. So everyone could give money and then vote, you know, once every six months for a new piece of equipment that we buy and uh, make sure that that money goes to the correct account to pay for that thing. But you could push that out further. You could be a, uh, you know, a small African village somewhere and you could say that, well, we want our own open union of exchange. We want our own system. We're going to need our own little governance system that uses that. And if the technology is mature enough, you could feasibly have not only the union of exchange, but also the mechanisms for voting like Horizon State, which we saw, um, the mechanisms for yeah, electing people, the mechanisms for setting up little businesses and registering companies and all sorts of things on that platform because... That's where the money is. Mm. So these pop-up communities could be, I mean, there are so many tools out there that could make these, um, you know, there's so many un- yeah, uncensurable self-hosted tools. You talked about Riot.im earlier. You've got Signal. You've got Nextcloud. You've got a bunch of different open source tools that you could actually use to your advantage. And you could even build on top of existing systems. I mean, for example, um, SMS. Mm. You could make, you know, in a village somewhere where you get texted from you know this um automated phone that's just plugged into a smart contract yeah. and it's putting the votes that people are putting in out to the people so people are texting back yes or no kind of like what they got in switzerland yeah it wouldn't be too hard to build this yourself yeah and start just putting these systems in place so there's a bunch of tools that are out there that can be super useful so where's an example of where people are already self-governing in that sort of way I think one of the really interesting things that people don't even think to look at much is actually Reddit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a big Reddit user. I think you are as well. Mm-hmm. And a number of people we know are. Um, Reddit is a kind of like a content aggregation service, mm-hmm. but it's also turned into like a social media service almost where mm-hmm. there's all these different subreddits and people of like-minded interests congregate. But one of the first things that happens when these communities begin, they get a few members, is they start setting rules and you start yeah. getting moderators. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And the, the beauty of Reddit is up until very recently, it gave everyone the power to build whatever kind of community they want, mm. talk about whatever kind of content they wanted, mm. and basically make whatever kind of rules they wanted as well. So the rules would differ from subreddit to subreddit. Yeah. They'd have some subreddits people post too many GIFs that are not, you know, of dogs in cute dog GIFs. Yep. And then, you know, there were MP4 videos and so, or whatever. Anyways, yeah, yeah, we'd have like uh, the history subreddit has some very like specific rules about what you can and can't the post. sources and yep. don't, you know, make up stories. Yeah. Stick to the facts. And that's self-regulation. Yeah. You know, that is that is people... That's a great point. Because, because you look at a new subreddit, like someone spins up a new subreddit for, I don't know, black olives, right? They love yeah. black olives and they think black olives are the best and that's they want to build a community around that. Mm-hmm. Before the day they spun it up, that community didn't exist. Mm. They used a new technology which has a framework in it to, to, to spin that new interest group up. And then as people start joining, they make some new rules. They mm-hmm. agree on it. Mm-hmm. The moderators enforce those rules. Some people might get kicked off because they start posting photos of green olives. Mm. Um, and then there's a new rule, you know, no green olives. No green olives. And then a new green olives subreddit starts up for nice. all the disenfranchised people. Yes. And they've got their own rules. Freedom. Um, but that's an existing framework, an existing technological framework that even 10 years ago, or 20 years ago, yeah. people did not have access to that and you couldn't build these self-regulated communities mm. like they've got now. Mm. Um, you see this as well with gaming clans is, an, is another very similar one. Um, they're all very unique. They've all got their own uh, rules. But people spend more time in those a lot of the time than they do in the, quote-unquote, government of their particular land-based country. Oh. And they're far more passionate about the quote-unquote government of their mm. subreddit mm. or their gaming community mm. than their, the government of their country. I guess you see some problems that sort of come in there. So when you take the Reddit example, you've got, you remember, you know, whether it's world news or things mm. like that, there are some very controversial subreddits mm. out there. And you have, you know, very frequently you have allegations about, you know, moderators yep. have the control to, you know, the power to ban people or remove people and remove yep. posts and generally find, like make sure the content is of a certain level of standard of quality to their yep. liking. Some people are like, oh, these moderators are, you know, taking the power into their heads and they've got all these sorts of corrupt interests. But do you have any sort of thoughts on how, how that sort of side of things is going? Yeah, uh, I... I- I think open source is really helping a lot of this stuff. I, I, I literally looked up yesterday a couple of open source alternatives to Reddit because mm-hmm. I found one of my uh, subreddits had been – essentially, they'd been contacted, but they were breaching copyright. They'd been contacted by this company to um, – so the company contacted Reddit itself mm-hmm. and they'd con- Reddit itself had contacted this subreddit and said, you need to stop, you need to take everything down. So they've now set up like a mirror, which is like a free open source mirror – to Reddit to put all this content up, hmm. um, which is, you know, infringing copyright in America or whatever. Um, and so I think that's probably going to help as time mm-hmm. goes on. People are going to start moving away from these proprietary technologies mm-hmm. because open source has caught up. We saw with Riot, which we covered earlier, you can have a Discord or Slack-like experience with completely free software, completely open, hosted yourself, a lot more private and secure, Um than, than any of those other things now that's happening. And it's happening in a lot of other areas too. Open source is kind of catching up. And so I think we'll start seeing that. People migrate away from the proprietary stuff, go further towards the 
open source stuff. Now, that solves the platform issue Mm -hmm. and the ownership issue, but it doesn't solve the governance issue. And I doubt we're ever going to solve the governance issue, Mm -hmm. quite frankly. Like, I I think anyone that tells you that we can completely decentralize, have complete, completely no rules, is just telling complete lies, to be honest, because you get three humans together and you'll start agreeing on rules on something mm-hmm. or just the appropriate form of something. Like people need to people need to set boundaries. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. always will. And you'll see that even let's say we haven't um, uh, a libertarian or probably more anarchist paradise, as you'd say, where there are no rules at all. I can guarantee you what would start happening is that someone would do someone would hurt or kill someone else and then people would start saying, okay, we need to organize into groups and we need to agree that within our group, these things are unacceptable mm. and we're going to enforce these rules via this way. Mm. That that will just automatically happen. And yes, there may be no overarching central authority, but people will always set up mechanisms by which they govern themselves. Mm. So a lot of it, I think, is just taking away as much of the outside influence as you possibly can or the proprietary interest and just letting people set up their own things for themselves, free of any impediments. I think that's the way that things are trending in that. I mean, do you have any thoughts? Mate, I just was just thinking about, as an aside, There's some, one thing I absolutely love about America is some of those founding ideals. Mm. Now, they're completely gone now, obviously. Yep. There's no such sort of... Uh, it's lucky that there are some people who are still fighting for a few of them, but, I mean, when you've got the idea that, you know, there are these things that are not sort of rights that are given to you from the government Mm. but actual rights that you inherently have inalienable that's the one inalienable Mm. rights that was actually such a big point because i was listening to a podcast about it the the other day and it was a seven like part of a seven hour podcast real intense so it's taken me about a month to listen to what podcast was that uh it's the Peace Revolution podcast. It's from years back. Okay. But, um, really interesting. It goes into a lot of like alternate history. This is one on privacy and surveillance. Yep. But yeah, just talking about that sort of the unalienable rights that mm. nobody is allowed to tread on. Yeah. I just think it's such a great point. You know, the fact that you're saying, first and foremost, you have that. Yeah. Nothing can touch it. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the founding of America is a really interesting thing to look at because they did everything they possibly could to make it so that there would be not a central government. Yeah. Like they were like, you can literally look at them quoting, like you can literally look at quotes from them saying, we are doing this so it will be almost impossible for a central, you know, gargantuan government to set itself up. And they were saying, yeah, because they were saying, look, it's all about having people who are actively watching the government yeah. And these people are armed. Yeah. Who if they see that the government is getting out of line, they say, No, we've got to put you back into your place. Yeah. And it's such so great because they were mm. under complete tyranny from the British and now they're just under their own. Yeah. 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 They've, just they've sort of become the very thing that they swore yeah. to destroy. It's such a beautiful set of ideals. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And and I think that's where for me as a lawyer, I look at these tech technologies and I look at these way that ways that people are beginning to set up new structures. Yeah. And they're beginning to uh, be able to govern themselves in new ways. And I, I truly hope that in 10 years, crypto uh, or blockchains are at a point where we can effectively set up governance structures on some of this stuff. Mm. And that 
Af- hypothetical African village can set up their own um, legal structure. But what I hope, it, I hope it's not just them kind of muddling through. I, 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 can, I can foresee people beginning to build almost open source legal frameworks for some of this stuff, like a legal framework for the digital the digital age, essentially. And you could take like an American constitution, which is a brilliant document, an amazing document. And you could say, okay, this is going to be a part of our repository of our legal framework. It's going to be like the founding document. Mm. And here's some other things and you essentially create some other modules. You might have like a, a company module and a criminal law module and, you know, all these mm. different things. And you could have replaceable mm. rules and bits and pieces you can put in. And then for that hypothetical African village that wants to set up their own little governance system mm-hmm. free from the centralized government, um, they could essentially just go on that almost like a GitHub repository. Maybe it's called Git Law or Law yeah. Hub or whatever and just fork it yeah. and just say, okay, we'll fork it. It's open source. Here's a great framework for this stuff. It has some hooks for smart contracts if you want to hook them in and all blah, 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 whatever, um, or hooks to write I am or whatever else. Um, and we, but we like this stuff, but we don't really like this stuff. This, so we're going to, we're going to customize that. We're going to write our own. Actually, we might fork this and then also fork this other framework over here, which is has these other things we like. That's such a great idea. We'll combine the two, we'll pull them together, and this will govern our own little village here. Or, same with an online community. Well, maybe you create that and have almost ideal starter bits. Yeah. But then, like, a few different options because, you know, you've got some people who want to be more sort of more um, liberal and some people want to be more conservative. Some mm. people want to give more power to, the you know, the controllers of, you know, your village or more power towards the people and less for that because it yeah. obviously changes from place to place. Yeah. But that's such a fascinating idea. And mm. I'd love to see that. And especially what you're saying about having those hooks into um, technological things because a smart contract is only so good, but it's it's not very different from an actual contract unless it's got inputs and things it can measure. So say when the temperature gets lower than this degrees, the law is Mm. you have to – you know, offer housing to this or you have to put your car into a garage or whatever it is. And there need to be measurements for certain bits of that. So I guess the question is what inputs can we get in? Basically anything from an API that has an API plugged into it. Yeah. But then how do we, yeah, which APIs can we plug into smart contracts? Yeah. Yeah. Or the, or the government, you would, you could literally have a, a, um, a legal system where any new commits, to the you just have it like a GitHub repository where the the, the country's law is literally in a repository, mm-hmm. uh, not or not the country or the community's law, like mm-hmm. whether whether it be an online community or a physical community, and any changes that are made to that law um, have to reach a certain level of approval mm-hmm. before they can be pushed mm-hmm. to the repository. Mm-hmm. You know, or if you are going to change the constitution, you have to take that to a referendum. And that something, even like something like a Horizon State, that you plug that technology in and you say, unless you validate that at least 50% of registered voters have voted for this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. amendment to the Constitution um, code, mm-hmm. don't allow the commit. Don't allow mm-hmm. it to be become, it just stays as an open request. Then you can bump into it. There's real world problems, obviously, that you bump mm. into there mm-hmm. as well. Like, you mm. know, if you turn up for a referendum that has to have 50% turnout but you disagree with what it wants, yep. then by turning out blah, blah, blah. But yep. still, that's so far, such a great – yeah, such a – carry on. 
Well, it's 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 just I mean, and look, we're we're talking hypothetically in a in a hypothetical place where a country won't come and bang down your door because you've set up a, a you know, a, a government, an illegal government, mm. essentially. But I mean, you 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 see it already where people uh, self-govern within existing countries, yep. like there's you know some people just choose to work within you know Sharia courts, for example, in the UK, yep, yep. which is perfectly legal. There. Yep, yep, and as long as it's not hurting anyone else and as long as you're not breaching anything it's it, we've seen in the last 20 years with technology that people are well able to set up their own rules to regulate themselves in certain areas um so it's not it's not outside the realm of possibility as a random question extra on that now i'm not a legal expert and you are far more of an expert <laughs> than i am on these things so what i hear is that and our system of law, at least in the UK and Australia and maybe America as well, you have the laws, but then you have case law. Mm. Now, mm. how would you see that sort of – because and case law being what? Things that – court cases that have happened yep. that sort of twist the interpretation or add to the – They almost – they you, clarify. They clarify yeah. a yeah. law. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so like a judgment that highlights a specific part that was – yeah, look, I think one of the worst parts of our system is that we even have what's called case law. Right. I think it's lazy law, it's so to be honest. And not to say the judges are not to say the judges don't work hard. They work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're incredibly overworked. Um, they work very hard. But what should happen, at least in my view, yeah. whenever a judgment is made that does clarify or make law certain law or something, mm-hmm. that should be added as a little, almost like a little. Um, you know those little plus boxes you click mm-hmm. on and it expands? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That should almost be like a little expanding bit in the legislation which kind of uh, s- someone, be it a judge or a judge's clerk or mm-hmm. whoever, once a decision is made has to write in there and say, this section has been clarified to mean this in these circumstances, bam, 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 bam. So does that mean in the sense of smart contracts, not smart contracts, but having laws within um, decentralized autonomous organizations, yep. you almost need some kind of de- ambiguity flag where you can s- click a flag and say this is ambiguous yep. and almost th- or a way of sort of detecting that something that's been written is not specific enough yeah because users will need to come and say hold on a second yeah yeah Yeah. there are glaring loopholes in we need to clarify this yeah so it's almost like laws need to have conversations around them in little sub threads yeah yeah definitely and i mean there will always be some form of ambiguity in any law um but i think it's about when a decision is made on it it needs to be readily accessible and available the problem with case law Mm. at the moment is most lawyers struggle to find what case law actually says on all this stuff. Because there are so many cases, the cases are so big, you have to have access to very expensive legal repositories to be able to search them with any kind of efficiency. Um, so you've got all this quote-unquote law sitting in behind paywalls and you know in, in hard-to-access databases. And Australia is, to be frank, one of the better countries out mm-hmm. of any country mm-hmm. that you can kind of get access to all this stuff. But still, like... You'll read through two, three hundred pages worth of judgments, and at the end of it, you'll go, "Okay, I kind of get it," but then you'll read three other judgments, and they'll say three other different things, and they'll all quote each other. You know, so um, I think whenever it's clarified, a better way in the future would be to make sure that it all ends up in the same spot. You know, and it's all 
It all ends up in the same repository. Like a centralised. <laughs> <laughs> Centralisation is not bad, though. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's having everything thing. in one you place. Know, it's, 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 yeah, centralised. I mean, Bitcoin is centralised in the sense that the ledger is um, is kept in one place. Yeah. You know, it's just that the the hosting of the ledger is decentralised, yeah, so it's, yeah, yeah. it's censorship one resistant. One thing that is spread out. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, it doesn't even have to be smart contracts. That's that's the thing. Like this tech, if if it does its job, is it, tech's all just about making your life easier and more efficient. Mm-hmm. And it could just as easily be something like a GitHub that, which I mean, we could get into the weeds here. But GitHub really is a blockchain anyway. If you really want to talk about it, but GitHub is timestamped. Yeah. Um, it has different versions. Yeah. You can see the entire history. Forks. Commits are made by reg- registered users. Uh, it's forked. Um, yeah, it's a timestamp database. And that's if all you aren't is. a developer, just pretend we said something phenomenal. <laughs> Mate, so let's look at voting. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's the core of any democratic society. Um, Horizon State are, you know, a one sort of um, voting platform. Um but feasibly, there, there could be some other models too. Um, mm. One big problem that we do have is many of these are going to rely require ID technologies to prevent voter fraud and you know double voting and things like this. Um, but yeah, it's it's sort of a fascinating area. I mean, you've got a bunch of different um, technologies out there. I mean, we talked about Estonia have their sort of citizen stuff mm. um, now. The Swiss system doesn't use blockchain for voting yet, but I mean, they're working on. Wasn't they? When they're getting? Oh no, they were getting. They're in Zug. I think they got it in. Yeah, but but I mean, but their system is one of the best. There's a there's a bunch of voting systems that people are building and built into many of these blockchains now. Like for example, EOS. There's voting that's built into that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what what are your sort of thoughts on the voting side of things? Yeah, look, I th- I think it's 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 definitely essential if you're going to have some kind of governance in a decentralized open manner. Um, and there's a couple of things you really need with voting. The first thing is ID, mm-hmm. so you're going to have to have a way to identify people and tie their ID to some entitlement to vote and make mm-hmm. sure people can't vote twice. Mm-hmm. Similar to the way that you in Bitcoin, you make sure that people can't double spend. They should shouldn't they shouldn't be able to double vote. Mm-hmm. That's where something, yeah, like a, a time-stamped um, public-private key database makes sense. Um, and the other thing is, too, you need a way to have those votes publicly available and distribute the voting ledger mm-hmm. so that no one entity or party hosts it and they're all validating mm-hmm. with each other, you know. So, so the- people need to see that their vote is... And validate that their vote has sort of mattered. Yeah, and not and not censored at all. And I think that's what some of these voting platforms are missing. I think if you really want to have a platform that people can have confidence in, they need to be able to host a, a quote-unquote voting node themselves. Mm-hmm. You, know, you need to make it so that everyone can host that ledger, sync that ledger in their own, you know, spin it up on a Raspberry Pi if they want. Um, because if it's just hosted on government servers, mm-hmm. or if it's just hosted on one company's servers... What's the point? Mm-hmm. You know, like you've just you've just created another potentially censorable, potentially hackable, potentially corruptible database. Mm. Um, so it needs to be open. It needs to be owned by the people. I think they're the two things you really need. 
ID and ownership by the people. ID is an issue because how do you validate ID? Who do you trust to validate the ID? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, they trust it, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, and, and generally those IDs will come with an account and that account will come with a password, mm-hmm. uh, which creates a huge threat vulnerability. How those accounts are issued is another vulnerability. There's mm-hmm. all sorts of mm-hmm. things that mm-hmm. need to be sorted out mm-hmm. with that mm-hmm. part. But for a good voting system, I think you need that stuff. Mm-hmm. And voting, I mean, people have been trying to fix this for a very long time, I think. There seem to have been a lot of interesting solutions. I saw a TED talk, which was really interesting, years back. Mm. It was a, of a different paper way of voting so that you could actually validate your vote. Yeah. Really, really interesting. There's some sort of a, almost like you wrote, put your vote down, um, but then you had a like a QR code that you could rip off half of it. And it sort of, it was a really interesting system okay. um, in that you could act, the way that they said it made perfect logical sense mm. in that you could validate votes. But. Mm. Yeah, at the same time, what, who's issuing the the voting? That's right. It's it's very very tricky. Yeah. Um, so yeah, voting has it's not perfect by any means, but yeah. really, really seeing it get better is exciting. So we're talking. We've talked a lot about the future, but companies now are using tech to make the interaction with existing laws better. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Just for an example, and this is one that I've been dealing with recently myself, the Corporations Act here in Australia and ASIC, who are kind of like the SEC, they handle all the company stuff in Australia. If you want to, let's say, change shareholders in your company or build, make a new company or other things, there's a bunch of forms to, that you need to fill out. Um, you need to notify ASIC of certain things and there's a lot of regulatory hassle with a number of issues and and companies are working on this to try and make it easier and one of the, one of the ways that companies are trying to do this is trying to help startups particularly interact with the law better and one company that's doing this is called Cake Equity and they're one I came across recently and they're really interesting because they're using tech to interact with, with existing structures and make for example notifying ASIC of shareholding changes easier and uh, filing, essentially having like drop-down menus and web forms to fill in that make a lot of sense and then they take those responses, turn them into forms, send them off for you, manage investor cap tables and all sorts of different things. And I thought it was really interesting. We'll put the link to their site in the show notes because it showed how even with our existing clunky legal framework, some of these companies are, are doing a lot of effort to make interacting with that stuff even easier and using tech to help companies kind of almost like how PayPal helped with the banks, mm-hmm. help companies manage all that stuff without mm-hmm. a whole bunch of the hassle of the the, re- the administrative work, I guess. So if you're somebody who's struggling to find some ideas on how to make your next big business project, just look at some things that are really annoying you recently. You know, if you've just moved house, you probably signed a contract. You mm. know, like... You've probably got it in your email somewhere, you know, possibly. How do you know what your, um, what your, what do you call it? How do you know what your responsibilities are? You know, um, or forms that you've had to fill out recently that, that you had to fill out in some kind of forsaken PDF format and then print out and fax to someone. You don't even have a fax machine. Just look at things like that and be like, can I make this easier? Yeah. Yeah. Because please, someone fix my rental agreement. That's horrible. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're no fun. Just like the whole lot of this, like property agents could just totally digitize half the stuff they do. Anyway, yeah. I'm going back off your well, I think, But I think that's why we're having this conversation though is because at least in our Western countries, our legal frameworks and our regulatory frameworks have gotten so bloated and they've, they've gotten to such a point where they're so unwieldy and even lawyers, like experienced lawyers, 
struggle to find all the information they need. And the whole thing with laws is they're meant to be accessible and they're meant to be legible for the public. There's an expectation that you should know all the laws. Police will tell you this all the time. Well, the law's there. You should know. Like, not, not knowing it is not an excuse. But when you open up the 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 homepage of the legislation, you know, big legislation homepage of Australia, and you see that there's thousands of acts and a bunch of bills amending each of those acts getting passed every week. You haven't got enough life to live oh, to read them. And, and some of them are 2,000, 3,000 pages long. That sounds like somebody's been just adding words just because they're paid to add words. Yeah. But so I get, well, I guess at the end of this, um, the, the voting side of things, mm. you, you get, uh, in, my, in my view, you want sort of digitally, you want the ability to plan and suggest what people vote about, then the ability to, you know, once things get a certain number of, you know, uh, amount of voice behind them, then moving it to a vote and then actually being able to measure how it's executed. Yeah. And yeah, being, yeah, being able to measure those sorts of things. Yeah. But yeah, I just want to see more interfaces for processes. So yeah. if it's a rental contract or things like that, you know, if I have to, if my rental contract says I have to mow the lawn, you know, remind me that I got to mow the lawn. <laughs> like I'd, if I'd find that things like apps, and I think we can build this with notifications on websites. Yeah. I mean, it's getting better, and you can push notifications through to your phone, and all yeah. these things that don't need you to put something on the app store and be the next developer who fixes bugs in their you know app that and release a new one and all this and maintain licenses. Just make interfaces for a lot of processes that I feel would be so good for so many areas, whether it's property, whether mm. it's transactions. Mm. And I feel that the people who make interactions for like forms that work on mobile phones really simply just for whether it's for forms, whether it's to push processes along. Mm. I don't know. That really excites me. Yeah. And we seem to do all the innovation in the trivial areas of our life instead of the areas of our life that cost a lot of money and are really important, don't we? Because how many times in the last month have you had a frustrating bureaucratic process mm. and someone goes to you, ha, it's the 21st century, like a little joke. Yeah, yeah. And like, ha, you know, we're using paper and all that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Everyone jokes about that. Yeah. It's not funny anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but this is why it is such an important conversation to have because the people that are running and making decisions about these big governance mechanisms in our current society are people that don't want to change generally. Generally the status quo Damn. is is friendly for them. And oh. so and so that is uh, generally what happens is that if 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 the status quo remains for long enough people will innovate around it. And we're seeing that with so that cake equity for example, Horizon State's another one, they're trying to work in with existing structures mm -hmm. and make them more painless. Mm -hmm. But Things like Reddit and you know forums and communities and 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 even stuff like GitHub for different. I, I saw a GitHub on the AA bill recently, um, and some people had taken some of my articles and chucked some of the stuff in there, which was awesome. Wow! I was like, this is so good. Like wow. someone's putting together a repository that people can can can, can uh, essentially add pseudo legal advice to to help everyone out. It was great. Wow! Um, uh, people innovate around this stuff. And while, you know, yeah, things like Reddit and these other little communities might seem innocent and quaint right now, they're the precursor to potentially something bigger, which is people saying, let's, let's take what you're doing and innovate around it. You know, let's, let's, let's build some new structures that make this far easier for us to manage. Let's maybe even take um, our jurisdictions digital 
and start doing agreements without a jurisdiction, but in a in a digital jurisdiction almost with its own laws. And because we're not registered in your country, you've got no jurisdiction over us, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's why we're having these conversations because the people that should be innovating the most because it's the most important stuff for their life just. It's all about the status quo, you know. But at the end of the day, the people who keep innovating, it's like you switching to Linux. Yeah. Linux just gets better and better and better and better. Mm. And then suddenly you're like, oh, I'm flipping. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Choice. So as much as there's a good side to this, where are you seeing some negatives in this? Mm. Voting, govern, not voting, but in this whole governance and law blockchain side of things. I think the biggest one is China. We've, we've reported on China um, going to blockchain in a number of episodes. We generally try and spin this as a positive. Sometimes we kind of show the negative side of it as well. Um, but blockchain technology and other technologies like it, so linked databases that use timestamps and hashes and all that kind of stuff, um, they mean that things are permanent, that they can be tracked. Um, that you can see exactly what went on and there's very little way to change what went on previously. And that's great for money. That makes really good sense of money and it makes sense for things like voting and a number of other things. Uh, But my suspicion is that the reason China is moving to embrace this type of technology so much is because it's also great for recording what your citizens do. Mm. It's also great for recording surveillance information and social credit ratings and people's use of money. Um, And I suspect that when China saw Bitcoin and blockchain technology and the permanence and the way that Mm -hmm. it could, you know, essentially make it so that data is immutable, Mm -hmm. um, there's no way to argue with it, they saw it as a great new way to build an incredibly strong, invasive, secure... Uh, surveillance and control system. Wow, 100%. I mean, if you get uh, the phone company, let's call it phone company, and you <laughs> and you get them to say, okay, so every text message that's sent or received, when it comes into your network, log the metadata onto a blockchain. Yep. The user could delete the SMS from their phone. The police come up and search them. They don't see any messages on their phone. It doesn't matter because they've already... Yep. Like there's no point yep. actually having to... Go yep. and search for the user for it and trust in the user. Yeah. Because they're just taking an imprint. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And we say, oh, blockchain's expensive and it's it's hard to run. But if, if you've got one entity, the Chinese government, running the chain, in charge of all the data centers, they've got a whole bunch of money to spend on storage. They've got a whole bunch of money to spend on making sure it's as quick as possible. And they earn a percentage share in every Chinese company. That's exactly right. Get all the Alibaba storage you want. Yeah. Um, and so that is that for me is one of the uh, the 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 scary parts of this whole mm-hmm. you know government of the future using tech to augment and sometimes mm-hmm. change completely the way we govern ourselves. I guess because right now a lot of people are saying you know oh you know they say this is a scare thing about social media uh, yeah just deleted Facebook permanently this time by the way, um, but you know people say oh you know the things that you're doing they'll never get dis- they'll never be deleted they'll never disappear yeah and it's not actually true because they can sort yeah. of disappear in a way yeah but as soon as everything is taken permanently everything you do say or think you know as soon as they've got. Yeah, as soon yep. as you're wearing headsets that do all this nonsense, yeah, 
will be used against you. Yeah. And you can't deny it. Yeah. Make and the court it, process is way easier. Oh, definitely. And it can be sold too. That's the great thing. I mean, you can sell access to the, that kind of database and you can have mm. credit agencies yeah. have access to it and health insurers have access to you know, all that different thing. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's not all roses with this stuff. Mm. And, and, and we always say, you know, tech is great, but it's a double-edged sword. What can be used for great good can also be used for great evil. And it's you know this this blockchain stuff, this um, open source stuff. I saw a couple of weeks ago, Amazon took oh I've forgotten who it was, but uh, this this project had been working on. I think it was Apache. No, it wasn't Apache. Apache saw what happened to last time, um, but it was MongoDB actually. MongoDB had developed this great database tool, and they developed it over a number of years. And then Amazon said, "Awesome, great." Thanks so much for developing this open source tool. We're not going to fork it um, and call it Amazon Incredible Distributed Database or something technology. And uh, we're going to sell it to our users for $5 a month or whatever. Um, and uh, MongoDB were like, well, but, but we did all the work. And they're like, oh, it's open source. Your license doesn't prevent us from doing this, so we're going to do it. Um, and look, Amazon will make a way better product, and it'll be great for their customers. But the but the 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 founding message of that was open source is great, but it comes with some trade offs. Mm. You know, all this tech mm. comes with trade offs, and and the other side of the coin to the good side. Um, and ideas, in many way, although we can trademark them, are still open source. We copy other ideas that yeah. are good from other countries. And- yep. Even the bad ones. Yeah, yeah, and China's been doing that for a long time. Yeah. You know, you register a trademark here in Australia or patent something here, but it's not patented over there, and so it's open slather. It's a fair game. And look, I mean, that's China, but I think this theme of tech controlling the citizenry and um, really kind of invading in and our lives from governments and other companies is just as relevant here in in the West. It might not be as overt but sometimes that's even scarier because uh, it's kind of happening under the cover of of darkness almost mm, and we, we yeah. saw that with the the AA bill we covered recently mm. um, or the Patriot Act in mm. the states or whatever else these um, these governments are saying well yeah all this tech's great but we now want you to use this technology to report back to us um, to help us spy on people more etc etc smart cities is the same thing we've talked about this before Mm -hmm. there's a trade-off to having everything connected and Mm -hmm. having data going everywhere Mm. and that's that the people who have that data um can use it however they want it's true i mean i guess we're just being slowly conditioned with this learned helplessness that you get if you're a you know, a tortured dog in a cage, you just learn that there's nothing you can really do. <laughs> but there is. I mean, that's why all this open source tech and all this, these other things that are coming out are great. I- encryption has really changed the way we do everything. Yeah, 100%. Encry- encryption has just... Cats out of the bag. Yeah. You can, you can if you want to, you, you can hide everything you do behind encryption. Um, and yes, that can be used for bad things. Privacy is one of those unalienable rights, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) I guess it's just because we voluntarily give up that unalienable right online and with certain things. Well, no one told us not to. That was the problem. You know, I mean, we we, we know now, but when it all first came out, 
We had no idea what we were giving away. Um, and people still don't. Yeah. Yeah. So we're learning. I think yeah. we're learning. And I think it's just great that the that the tech is catching up and allowing us to do things in a new way. Um, and just, yeah, create some really interesting self-governance structures. So overall, I think... I think the future is pretty positive. I'm pretty excited about yeah. a lot of that. I mean, if it's reducing bureaucracy, increasing transparency, and making things easier. Yeah. I mean, I hate looking through these things and working out what's going on. Mm. Just does it for you. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll put the links to the projects that we covered in that in the show notes, but let us know your thoughts. Um, jump on our Telegram. We'd more than love to continue this conversation on our Telegram and chat about some of the different ways that you think laws and government and governance will look like in the future um, because it is such an important thing for us as a species really yeah cool nice. uh so we haven't talked to jordan in a couple of episodes yeah it's been a while um last time we checked in on him he was in venezuela i think mm. um doing some sort of i think in his words hush hush something something doesn't seem to have really worked whatever he's been doing but i mean yeah i think he's trying to create you know popular revolution and all this stuff yeah yeah anyway so he's sorted out a time for us to chat to him and now's that time so let's give him a call and see what he's up to this yeah. time Hey, Jordan, are you there? Oh, yes, Bru, how are you doing, huh? Good, good, Jordan. Uh, how, how are you? How's things in Venezuela? Bru, I'm out of Venezuela. I'm back. I'm back. I've actually, uh, you know, I say I'm back. I've, I've just I've just dropped by Paris, you know. I just thought I'd visit France, you know, the city of love, but actually the city of great designers. Right. So, have you been to Paris before or is this your first time? Bru, first time I've seen it, you know, it's beautiful. It's, uh, it's lovely food. There's snails. There's all kinds of, you know, strange accents. I can't understand but uh you know what it's beautiful huh cool okay so you just mentioned designers what's um what, what made you say it's a great city of designers oh bro i mean if you looked around here everything is lovely huh? mm. all the architecture the buildings you know the the people there's so much attention to detail and which is why i've actually decided i'm going to you know try and uh, move into a, a temporary little project into design huh okay okay design all right so what will you be designing jordan I am designing a new pair of uh, glasses, uh, you know, some spectacles for people to wear. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually working in, uh, I'm actually working with a major um, international uh, um, 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 spectacle company uh, called Specsavers. Uh, actually, um, I'm building some um, some glasses called uh, Satoshi's Vision. Satoshi's vision. These are it's it's perfect. I mean, it's the way glasses were always meant to be. In fact, um, you know, it might even be the the original design of glasses. You just like you've never seen it before. Huh? Everything else imitation. Okay, so what do these? What's so special about these Satoshi's vision glasses then? Jordan. Nothing looks nicer than through these glasses. Huh? It's it's pristine. It's clear. The design is beautiful. It is. It is exactly what glasses are supposed to be, huh? Right, okay. So do you think that the all the other Specsavers glasses that they've been making have got the vision wrong then? Is that is that why you're making these glasses? So do I'm making these glasses to be just how glasses are supposed to be, huh? All of these glasses that are here at the moment, all of the, the lenses, all exactly the same size, huh? So what I've decided 
Because every two months, the size of your lens doubles. So in 12 months, you look like Elton John at a party. Yeah? And in 24 months, you'll, you know, you're up there with a blue whale. You know, you would be a whale with Satoshi's vision. Huh? Wow. Okay, Jordan. But, but I mean, most people only have two eyes and their eyes are only a certain amount of size. So why would you need such big lenses on your glasses? Because this is the way glasses were always supposed to be. Blue. We should, you know, you can, you're either with us or you're an idiot, huh? Okay, um, and Jordan, some people's uh, heads as well, just they can't, you know, they can't take a certain amount of weight on their ears. Does, does this not mean that only the big-eared people of society in the future will be able to wear these true Satoshi's vision glasses? It just means if you're not thinking enough, you can't have a big enough head, which means you can't fit the glasses on, which means you're clearly too small-minded, huh? Right. Well, uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see how the glasses go. They are going to change the world. These will be the number one spectacle brand in 10 years. Mark right. my words, huh? All right. Well, let's. Uh, I'm putting a reminder on my computer right now to remind me in 10 years. I hope you find some uh, some giants with some very big heads. Wow. Um, wow. That must be one of the strangest conversations I've I ever had with Jordan. I don't know if he actually went to Venezuela. He must have gone to... I don't know if he's been in Colombia or, or definitely wrong country. It sounded it sounded very familiar though. This whole Satoshi's vision and bigger lenses and big heads. He's a visionary. If you know someone who might enjoy this, please feel free to share it with them. You can find us at FOMO.show. You can jump on our Telegram at FOMO.show slash Telegram. You can follow us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show. And on YouTube at FOMO.show slash YouTube. That's here it, That's here for us at the FOMO Show. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you like our show, please do feel free to subscribe in your podcast app of choice or via our YouTube channel. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember, no FOMO. I was like, you have me so pumped for this. I was like, yes. General election, blockchain platform. We finally get to test the model. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So I'm going to be like a CNN journalist speaking to Hillary Clinton, okay? Covering Clinton. <laughs> fawning. Fawning. <laughs> well, not fawning. Benefit of the doubt. Mm. With a lot of benefit and not much doubt. <laughs> Hillary never did anything wrong. <laughs> She's a saint. Lock him up. <laughs> the Clinton Foundation is a legitimate organisation that helps people <laughs> in Haiti. Oh, about just a little bit for the outtakes. Two words. Building seven. This podcast has been censored by the FBI for your own protection. <laughs> Reporting from Guantanamo, this is the FOMO show. <laughs> oh, we got a call coming in from Jordan. Are you so? <laughs> Jordan, where, you wouldn't believe it, but we're in jail now. <laughs>
Oh, bro, come get you, huh? I'm on a Somalian ship right now. <laughs> I would bust you out. <clears throat> okay. Take. Take 37. <laughs> Beep. For this feature, we're talking about the future of government and law. So this is all triggered by uh, an article that TM shared in our chat. <laughs> we were doing so well. And in the small in the town of Gilgandra, um, Bob get like Bob generally um, is currently selling two for five on tomatoes this week and this week only. Um, Gertrude from Erhard Street asks for the neighbours over in Piccadilly Street to stop hanging shoes on their power lines. Welcome aboard this FOMO Flight Thirty Nine from Brisbane, calling all stops to. Oh, wait, you don't call it stops if it's a flight, do you?